You know, before I read the text, may I encourage us to be praying for each other? I know there's been sickness going around in our context, and um, it thus is the season. But let's be praying for each other and encouraging each other in very practical ways too. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. And then we'll put Hebrews on the shelf for a few weeks till the new year. But um, this is a good place to, to kind of close, it, close this section. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak even right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe before I get started, can I say one thing? Book of Hebrews. As you read it, I don't know about you, but I was actually talking to another pastor and said, you're going through Hebrews? Like, oh my goodness. And then he goes, um, when I read it, I get confused and get twisted around and like what's going on. And sometimes we can, 
as we're going through Hebrews, we can pay so much attention to the details that we miss the big picture. We have to, we have to see the big picture, but we also have to see the details. But let's not forget the big picture. And the big picture is we're to consider Jesus. We're to look to Jesus. And all those little details are supposed to bring our eyes, to lift our eyes up to see Jesus. Okay? So we're going to, get, we're going to dive into some details this morning. But always every once in a while go, oh yeah, but this is so that I can look and see Jesus. So I just wanted to pause there. But what I, what I want us to do today is I want us to see three things about Jesus as our high priest. Jesus is, is, is our high priest like Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest um, who is forever. And finally, Jesus is our high priest who is a guarantee of our vow. I'm going to use that word. Now, I'll repeat those later. But before we dive into those, let me, let me, let me just touch on some observations that I think will help set up the stage for those three things that Jesus is, okay? First off, he uses the language in verse 11 of a Levitical priesthood. Now, one of the problems when we come to the book of Hebrews is we, we're not coming to the book of Hebrews like, like the first readers were. Those readers were from the Hebrew system. They, they understood the, the Old Testament laws. They understood the sacrificial system of the temple. And so, as our writer is talking about these things, that's just second nature to them. And we come to it and we go, well, what is this Levitical priesthood? And what is this Melchizedek? And what is this? And so it's important for us to understand the Levitical priesthood. The, the, the Levitical priesthood was, a, was the priest that came from the family of Levi. If you were a male and you were from the family of Levi, you would be a priest. Now you would have different roles depending on which family within the family of Levi you would be. But you would be a priest and you would have activities and jobs in the temple serving God. Now if you were the high priest because you were from the family of Aaron, you would have the, the incredible task, the important task of going into the Holy of Holies, the, the centerpiece of the temple once a year on the Day of Atonement. And that was a big deal in that day. In that day. People from all over would come and flock to Jerusalem to watch this event. Not that they could go into the Holy of Holies, but, but they would gather in the temple and if, you, if they were uh, Gentiles, they would gather around the temple outside in the, in the Gentile courthouse and they would get as close as they could to watch this event. And he would slaughter a goat and he would take the blood of that goat and he'd put it on another goat and he would send that goat out into the wilderness and that represented the sins of the people had been removed from, from God as far as that goat has going, as far as the east is from the west. And then he took the blood from that goat that he had slaughtered and he'd also sprinkle it, he'd bring it into the Holy of Holies, he'd sprinkle it upon the altar. 
and he would he would be a representative he'd be a mediator he would uh, he would go before god on behalf of the people and this was significant for the people of israel because they were the people of god and so when we read that word levitical priesthood that thought that idea that people group that that task has to be back in our back of our mind and then there's this guy named Melchizedek. We talked about him last week. But just by way of refresher, let me, rem- let me remind you. Genesis chapter 14. Just four little verses. We're introduced to a guy named Melchizedek back in about 2000 B.C. And Melchizedek shows up on the scene. We don't know where he come from or what happens to him. All we know is that he is the king of Salem, which is the precursor to David's Jerusalem. And we're told that he is a high priest of the Most High God, which was odd for the Jews because later when the law would come, they wouldn't have a king and a priest as one. They would be separate entities, separate people. And so this Melchizedek actually blesses Abraham, and Abraham then in turn gives this Melchizedek, a tenth of everything he owns. And then that's all we hear of him. Until David writes one little verse about him in Psalm 110. So David, a thousand years after the event, some 500 years after Moses writes about it, David is reflecting about the Messiah. Now remember, when, 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 when the writer of the Hebrews is talking about the Psalms and David, he, says he, would, he said in chapter 4 that David wrote that, but in chapter 3 he says that the Holy Spirit writes these things. So the writer of Hebrews is, is, is going, okay, well, the Holy Spirit moved David to write in Psalm 110 about the coming Messiah who would be a king who would rule all the nations and then he throws this one verse in there that this king would be a priest like Melchizedek forever and then that's all he says and he just leaves it there and now the writer of Hebrews, after Jesus has come and died and rose from the grave and ascended into the heavens, now unpacks this Melchizedek for us. And in our text today, the, one of the things he's going to be doing is he's just simply going to help us understand Psalm 110, verse 4. He's actually preaching a sermon from Psalm 110, verse 4. That's what he's doing. Okay, so verses 11 to 28 is really a sermon on Psalm 110, verse 4. And so keep those thoughts in the back of your mind. And one more thought before we dive into considering Jesus is this idea of perfection. Did you notice as I was reading... Verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, he uses the word perfection, then if you follow your finger down and go to verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. And then if you follow your finger down again to verse 28, it says that um, a son who has been made 
perfect forever. For us to grasp this passage, we have to understand, I think, this, this idea of perfect or perfection. And we use that word in a couple of ways. I've never been accused of this, but people often talk about the guy who has the perfect hair. What do we mean by that? Help me out. It's never out of place, right? Now we know it is, and we know the wind blows and their hair goes out of place, but for some reason there seems to always be right. And so we almost use it as their hair is better than my hair. But perfection is a stronger word than that, isn't it? It speaks of there's nothing wrong. There's an ethical component when it comes to perfection. Look at the last few verses of our chapter in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, For it was, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained. He's talking about Jesus there. He goes on, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. And so the idea of the, the high priest, one of their tasks was to, to make right. The sacrifices were to make things right. To make things perfect. But our scriptures are telling us that they, they didn't actually do that. Now there's something more to that word because the, the idea is, is, it speaks of what is at the end. The, the Greek word has at the idea this what's at the very end. And what's or speaks of completion, if that helps. Maybe the best way for me to describe this word perfection is go back to Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have Adam and Eve, and, and when God created them, what did he say? It was very good. Very good. Adam and Eve were what they were supposed to be, and they were doing what they were supposed to do there was perfection in that garden. Following? Now in that context, when, 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 when Adam and Eve re rebelled, what happened? They were separated and, and there, was, there was something in between and, and so their sins needed to be forgiven, but part of that perfection was they were in the presence of God. They were complete. It was, it was right. And so when, when the language of perfection is, is, is being used here, there's, there's a language of what we ought to be, what we will be, because of the work of Christ. Okay? We'll touch on that word as we move forward, but it speaks of completion, etc. And with that, those thoughts in mind, Let's dive into those three things about who Jesus is. Jesus is our high priest, like Melchizedek. Now, if you're like me, you're probably going, huh? What's the big deal about this? But remember, David's contemplating, thinking about this, this Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews is contemplating, thinking about this Melchizedek and going, this Melchizedek is none other than Jesus. 
But listen to what he says in verses 11 through 14. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? And all our author is simply saying is, you know what? If, if, if the Levitical priest was good enough, then why would David later talk about a Messiah that was to come that would be a priest like Melchizedek? Why do we need another type of priest? We've got the Levitical priests. Why do we need another? And the point of the author here is because that, the Levitical priesthood couldn't bring about perfection. Couldn't bring about the, the end goal, the end result. Let's carry on. In verse 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And, and I think our author is just simply saying, okay, there's going to be a change in the priesthood. There was a change in the priesthood. Therefore, there's a change in the law. And then he moves on in verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. For the one of whom these things are spoken. He's saying, the writer in Hebrews is saying, well, what David was talking about, the person David was talking about was Look at verse 14. Was our Lord. Our Lord. This Jesus. So David was talking of, about Jesus. And, and what did David say? Well, the one... Well, Jesus doesn't come from the people of Levi, the tribe of Levi. In fact, Moses, in verse 14, never connected the priests... With the, with, the, with the descendants of Judah. And our writer is actually saying in verse 14, this is evident, this is obvious. Jesus comes from David's family, from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. And so if he's a priest, which he will tell us that he is, then he must, there must be something else. There must be another order. There must be... And oh, it's, it's from the order of Melchizedek. So we need Jesus as a priest like Melchizedek. Now much of our discussion last week was around that. And so that's all I'm going to say there. But then this Jesus is not simply a high priest like Melchizedek. Jesus is a high priest who is forever. Now that's what David said. Remember David said, here's... He's going to be a high priest, a priest forever, under the order of Melchizedek. And our, and our writer in Hebrews is thinking about that and, 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 and contemplating that, and he says in verse 15, this becomes even more evident, it's more obvious, when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, he doesn't become a priest because his daddy was a priest and his grandfather was a priest. He says Jesus becomes a priest. How? By the power of an indestructible life. Meaning, his resurrection. He once was dead and he rose from the grave never to die again. And it's based upon that that he is the forever priest. Now he's just 
simply declaring it. And then in verse 17, he says this, For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever. Now he's just quoting Psalm 110, verse 4. Verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. What's he saying there? He says the law had no ability to make us perfect. He doesn't define perfect there, but he gives us a, 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 an understanding that perfect also includes drawing near to God. Go back to the garden. What's, this, what's the significance of the garden after Adam and Eve were created and it was very good? We're told in chapter 3 they walked with God. When sin entered the world, what happened? They were, they were pushed out of the garden. First they hid themselves and, and God, even though he knows where they were, he was looking for them and then they were driven from the garden. They were driven from the presence of God. The work of the priest, the Levitical priest, that, that work of the goat could not actually bring the people of God into the very presence of God. It couldn't perfect them. It was a law that didn't work. There are certain stop signs in Alberta that don't work. They're good things. But they don't make my car stop because it is in the middle of nowhere. I shouldn't confess those things, but the law is a good thing. It's probably a good idea to stop. But that stop sign has no power to make me stop. The Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament law has no power to perfect me and to perfect you, to bring us to completion, to bring us to God. None at all. But there is one who is forever, who was raised from the dead, and because of that, we have a better hope. We can put our confidence in one who, who was dead, but now is raised. That's our high priest. He's not just a king who's in charge. He's a high priest that was once dead and now is alive, who has the power to raise the dead and gives us a better hope. This idea of a priest forever continues in verse 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. Verse 24, but he holds his priest, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. His priesthood never ends. It's not like he's going to die and his son's going to take his place. He's always going to be the priest. And then he makes a statement, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. If we turn to the Lord, he can save us to the uttermost. He was risen from the dead. Why can he do this? Because he always lives. But he doesn't stop there. He always lives to make intercession for us. Now what does that mean? The author of Hebrews doesn't 
pause and wax eloquently and explain that for us. He just leaves it there. But let me show you what Jesus does, does in Luke chapter 22. You probably know the story, but if not, let me say it. Peter was about to deny Jesus three times as Jesus goes to the cross. And, and, and Jesus predicts that Peter will do this. But there's something beautiful that is Jesus says to Peter prior to him doing this. Simon, Simon, chapter 22 of Luke, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now Peter goes, no way, that's not going to happen. I'm going I'm I'm to never deny you. And Peter in his own strength couldn't do that. What are these people in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, struggling with? They're struggling with turning back to the old Jewish ways. They're struggling about, should we actually continue in this faith in Jesus, or should we go back to our whole Hebrew ways? They're struggling with the denying of their faith, and, and the author of Hebrews says, you have a high priest who is forever, and part of the thing about his foreverness is that he is interceding on your behalf. So that when you turn to him, You can draw near to God. Isn't that precious? So when you fall short, when you fail, when you sin, when you... We have a high priest. His name is Jesus. Who is forever... He's not a high priest from the Levitical Old Testament priesthood that doesn't do us any good because they die. They couldn't bring us into the presence of God. He's a high priest who is forever. And He intercedes on our behalf and even when we deny Him, we turn back to Him. He's interceding on our behalf. That's powerful. That's important. We're called to consider Jesus. Finally, this Jesus is a high priest who is not only from the order or like Melchizedek, who is not only one who is forever, but He is the guarantee or the guarantor of our vow. The language there is covenant. It's a legal term. If you buy a car in this province, you will sign something, a document, and, and, and the, the seller will sign it as well, and you will have a title that says that car is yours. It belongs to you. That's a good document to have and to hang on to. But it's kind of a cold document, isn't it? It's like, well, that's my car. That's kind of nice. But, and here's, here's, this proves it. But that's a, a legal thing that's 
I mean, it's good that we have it, but it's kind of cold. The language of covenant in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is a language of a, 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 a legal document or a legal relationship, but, but the key word is relationship. It's like the idea of a vow. It's like what happens when a young couple stands before me and they promise before God that they will forever love one another till death does them part, right? That's the, that's the language here. Listen to what God says in verse 20. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests, the Levites, they were made such without an oath. They simply were a priest because their daddy was a priest and their grandpa was a priest. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, now he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 4 again, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, you are a priest forever. When God speaks, does He have to swear an oath? Does He have to put His hand upon a Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth. You've you've probably seen that in the movies. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He doesn't have to do that, does He? He doesn't have to swear an oath. When God speaks, the world's created. He doesn't doesn't have to swear an oath to do that. He speaks and it happens. When God speaks, what He says will come about. When He makes a promise, it's going to happen. That's God. But in this situation, He says, I swear an oath. I'm making a promise. You can count on it. Tom talked about that from chapter 6. That's exactly what God did for Abraham as well. The only two times that God swears an oath. God swore, He made an oath that this Jesus would be one that is a priest forever. And there's a certainty in this. Verse 22 says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now He doesn't explain covenant. Chapter 8, He's going to explain it in detail. But the idea is, well, let's look, let's peek, let's take a, let's just look ahead a little bit. The idea, let's take a look at chapter 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually, ah, that's not it. But this idea of covenant is, is the language of of bringing us into the presence of God. It's the language of, of He's our God and we are His people. And God has sworn an oath and says, these are My people because of what Christ has done, because of what the priest has done. And we can come together and we are now together. You remember what was broken in, in Genesis chapter 3? Is now together because of our high priest. He's made a vow. He's made a promise. He's made a covenant. He's made a, he's made a commitment. This is what He says He's going to do. 
He's not only a forever high priest, but He's a priest that's made a vow. A covenant with us. And there's a certainty about that. And so He's telling the people who are losing their houses because they believe in Jesus. He's telling the people that are going through deep, great difficulties in life and are being tempted to turn from following this Jesus to go back to this system of sacrifices that are going on in the temple. And he's telling these people, what we have is far greater. This is the one that was promised in Psalm 110 verse 4. This is a priest who is forever He's always making intercession for us. He can save us. He has the ability to save us because He was raised from the dead. He has the power of the indestructible life. And this Jesus became our high priest because God the Father made an oath. Swore that He would be our priest that would bring us and God together again back into that place so that we could be what we were meant to be. Perfect. Complete. And the challenge to you and I today is to remember that the work that God has begun in us, He will bring to perfection, to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus. Will we trust Him? Will we turn to Him? Our author just kind of summarizes this whole section with those last three verses in verse 26. He says, It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. King, perfect, without sin. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He only had to do it once, but he, but he didn't bring a goat or a lamb. He, he brought himself. He was the lamb. Verse 28, For the law appoints men and their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What does that mean? He's been made perfect forever. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He was obedient. He became that perfect high priest who goes to the cross, does, what, does his Father's will. And so becomes a perfect high priest for us. All of that said, if you're at a place today where maybe you're going, man, I've fallen short. Maybe I said something that I ought not to have said or did something I ought not to have done. The writer of Hebrews is saying, turn to him. We have a high priest 
can save us to the uttermost. Maybe some of you are struggling with what do you trust in? What do you put your confidence in? Where, where do you turn to? To whom do you turn? Is there, any, is there anything that is forever? What I have in my bank account isn't forever. My house is not forever. My family's not forever. You guys aren't forever. I can't put my, my life, I can't, I can't base my life upon a, plant, a church that I planted. I can't, I, that's not forever. Jesus is forever. His word is certain. He's made it possible for the Father and me to be one again. This is remarkable. He's not just a king who sits on a throne. He's a high priest, as the writer told us earlier, who can sympathize with our weakness and allow us to be brought in, brought near to our God. And so wherever you are at, the challenge is turn to him and cry out to him and pray to him. Say, Jesus, you're my, you're my priest like Melchizedek. You're, you're, Jesus, you're my forever priest. Jesus, you're the priest who's a guarantee of this covenant that I have with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, again, this passage.